And we're talking about stepping out in faith. And stepping out in faith many times means that we got to be willing to change. we got to be willing to do something different than what we've always done. And we're going to look at that. But uh, um, there's, there's an article I ran across. Uh, and again, stepping out in faith, let me back up. Uh, I was one who, who said, I don't want to do live streaming. Here's my reason for not wanting to do live streaming. Well, I don't want to encourage people not to come to church. That's what I was saying. Because the Bible says, forsake not the assembly of yourselves together as a man of some is, but come together even you more, or as you see the day approaching, come together even more. But what I didn't recognize, and God said, hey, 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 wait, 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 wait. I gave man the ingenuity to invent these things. And don't you realize that by live streaming your service, you can reach a broader base of people who can't drive to Benton, Louisiana? And when somebody's sick and shut in or somebody living in California and Texas and they want to connect with your church family, they can connect with, as a matter of fact, they can connect with you over in Africa or wherever you may be, so use the technology and stop being a knucklehead. <laughs> he didn't quite say it that way, but in, in, in my own doorology, that's my speak. I didn't realize that there was a tool that God allowed man to invent to get the gospel across this globe. Are y'all with me? So I had to change my perspective. But let me back up. No, no, no. I was forced into changing my perspective. Can y'all get a witness? Because prior to the pandemic, we were not live streaming. We had talked about it, but I said, mm, no, 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 no. We, I, I want folks here in the church. And, and you ought to come together and gather. But, but again, we have to be willing to change. Yeah. Can I get five witnesses up in here? Yeah. All y'all who stuck in your ways. I was stuck. But God says, I'm going to use that. And here's, here's the beauty of it. Check this out, guys. Like I shared with y'all, in, in the last three years, uh, we've had over 100 plus people come and unite with this church. And 85% of those who came to unite with this church, guess what they said? We checked you out online for two or three months before we ever came intact doors of your church. Now, what if we were not online and you lived in South Shreveport? Are you gonna, if you lived in South Shreveport, are you going to automatically drive a bit and go to church? I would think not. But if you saw something that piqued your interest and you saw the move of God in the place because you were viewing it via live stream, you can check us out and make sure we're not crazy before you come. Come on. <laughs> so, so I've been, I, 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 I got my eyes open. All right, so y'all, y'all starting the clock on me. Y'all trying to tell me move now. All right, all right, all right. I, I need a little more time, a little more time. Okay. All right, so I ran across this article that was, that's, real, that's real good. It says, here are seven signs. And you put yourself in this place too, okay? Because we are the church, right? It says, effective churches change, but here are seven signs your church will never change. All right, listen to this. It says, there's a very good chance you're trying to change something in your church or in your organization or in your individual life. Can you put it that way? There's even a decent chance that some of you are trying to change everything. He says, I've been there. Just because God never changes doesn't mean your church shouldn't. In fact, the most effective churches change constantly. But effective churches never change the mission or the message. Those are eternal. But he says, but effective churches always change the methods to make sure the mission stays alive and the message gets gets heard. And that means change. Change is at the heart of effective churches because a leader's job is to take people from where they are to where they need to be. I got to repeat that again. It says, Change is at the heart of effective churches because a leader's job is to take people from where they are to where they need to be. You can't do that without ushering in change. And yet, 
trying to engineer change can be one of the most difficult things you'll ever do as a leader. So how do you know when your church or when your people uh, is, 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 is simply resistant to change, that it isn't going to budge? How do you know the problem is so deep that radical intervention is required? So he gives seven signs your church is never going to change. Number one, he says, you keep having the same conversation over and over and over again. Ever have that feeling like no meeting is ever a new meeting, that you're talking about the same issues month after month, year after year? He says, far too many church leaders have that feeling, actually. He says, without getting into specific, I worked a report on church growth 15 years ago for a church experience in decline. Last year, I saw the same group of people table an almost identical report addressing the exact same issue. By all accounts, they had made no progress on the issue despite studying it for a decade and a half. He says, the only thing that changed, of course, is that now the problem is far worse than it was before. The attendance decline they were, the, the attendance decline they were experiencing has morphed into a free fall. He says, talking about, talking about an issue, even talking passionately about an issue, and doing nothing about it is a complete waste of time. Awareness doesn't solve problems. Discussions don't solve problems. Insight doesn't solve problems. Action does. So you keep having the same conversation over and over again. Number two, he says, every time someone raises a new idea, someone lists three reasons why it won't work. Of course, the reason you have, to, you have the same conversation again and again is, is because every time you raise a new approach, someone lists three reasons why it won't work. You know what won't work for you. You know what won't work for you long term, coming up with reasons why it won't work. There are a thousand reasons innovations won't work until they work. Listen to this. In 1876, cash-strapped Alexander Bell offered to sell his, y'all heard this before, offered to sell his new invention, the telephone, to Western Union for $100,000. They rejected it. This, by all accounts, was their report. Here's their report. We don't see that, that this device will be ever capable of sending recognizable speech over a distance of several miles. Hubbard and Bell want to install one of their telephone devices in every city. The idea is idiotic on the face of it. Furthermore, why would any person want to use this ungainly and impractical device when we can send a message to the telegraph office and have a clear written message sent to any large city in the United States? Ignoring the obvious limitation of his device, which is hardly more than a toy, this device is inherently of no use to us. We don't recommend this purchase. Take that to your next board meeting, it says. <laughs> Number three, fondness for the past exceeds passion for the future. A sure sign that people will never change is a deep love for the past that eclipses any enthusiasm for the future. How, you, how do you know this might be you? It's simple. Monitor your language. When most of your stories and even your verb tenses are in the past tense, it's a sign you're looking backward and not forward. Well, we used to do this. We used to do that. We used to do that. If all of your cultural references, your songs, your movies, your shows are rooted decades in the past, it's a sign you lost touch with the present and the future. When your fondness for what you used to do is greater than your passion for what you're going to do, you're in trouble. Are y'all listening to me? Here's the next one. Watch this. And again, I've says bottom line, when all of your excitement is about the past, you haven't gotten much of a future. Fourth thing he said, 
small things always become big things. As a leader, you love to solve some big issues. But the challenge when you lead a group that won't change is that you never reach any big things because the small things always become big things. You know what I'm talking about. The debate on whether you should have carpet or hardwood lasted six months. And then they decided on carpet, which itself then became a two-month discussion on what color the carpet should be, which then became the four-month debate on who should install it. You know what you should do when you face a leadership stalemate like that? Break in one night and install it yourself. He says, I'm only, I'm only kind of half kidding there. He says, but, but call an audible and say something as direct as, hey, we've been talking about this for four months. We have to stop and move on to make progress. Why are we stuck like this? When small things always become big things, you'll never tackle any truly big issues. Number five, he says, people are still complaining about the last thing you changed. You... You know you're leading people who don't want to change when they're still complaining about the last thing you changed. And that was five years ago. I don't know what else to say about this except that was five years ago. Really, stop already, he says. Number six, we've never done it that way before has become a theme song. It's easy to get smug and think only super traditional churches fall into traps like this, but not really. Successful growing churches struggle with this tension too. Why? Because effective churches once experienced is something most leaders don't want to jeopardize. As leaders, you become so afraid of breaking what's working that you resist change. Look at listen to this. Even success create barriers to innovation. The greatest enemy of your future success is your current success. Because this has been working. Why change it? Why, why are we looking at doing it better and different? It's been working before until it doesn't. Number seven, your leaders don't bring unchurched friends with them. A sure sign that people have given up on change is that no one in leadership is actually investing in people who don't currently attend church. I'm going to repeat that again. A sure sign that people have given up on change is that no one in leadership is actually investing in people who don't currently attend church. When you're not praying for, investing in, or hanging out with unchurched people, your leadership conversations become about personal preferences, not biblical principles. And when your church, hear me carefully, and when your church becomes all about your personal preferences, you lose the mission. So what do you do, he says. If that's you, what do you do? Three things. First, as a leader, call the situation for what it is. Maybe start by personally owning your, re- your resistance to change. We all resist it, and your resistance might be, be born out of fear. Or maybe out of frustration, you just decided your church will never change, in, in which case, if you believe that as a leader, it won't. So confess that and own it. Second, repeat the process for your leaders. Share your fear of change and your attitude with your leaders and apologize. Then ask your leaders to talk about the fear of change. Have an honest conversation. Perhaps it will lead to a place where your leaders look in the mirror and say, Houston, we got a problem. And, it, and it's us. That would be breakthrough, a breakthrough moment. And finally, just realize that contrary to the title of this post, change is possible because not everyone is actually opposed to change. We just feel like change is impossible and everyone is opposed. As I wrote about in my book, Leading Change Without Losing, rarely are more than 10% of people opposed to effective change at any any given moment. It's just that the opponents allowed 
and we often confuse loud with large. If you doubt that everyone is deeply opposed to change, write down the names of the vocal opponents on a sheet of paper. Chances are you will have trouble identifying more than 10 to 20 percent of your congregation by name. Don't let the 10 percent of people who are opposed to change determine the future of the 90 percent who aren't. Maybe that will give you the courage you need to lead the change you need to make. It's never as hopeless as you think. And even your died in the wood traditional church can change. As I outlined here, I led three very traditional churches through the process. That was by Carrie Newhoff uh, sharing about. And I think, you know, those 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 principles we've discussed before. But it's important for each one of us to be open to what God is going to do in and through us and through the church. Amen. Are you open to change? Are you open to change? Some of y'all ain't clapping. I like where I'm going to be. I got news for you. Anything that's growing is changing. I've been pastoring this church now for 34 years, and I will tell you I've grown over that 34 years of pastoralship. I think back to where I was in year one, year 20, year 25, and now in year number 34, and I have changed because God necessitated that I change. Anything that's growing will be changing. Everybody say, anything that's growing will be changing. Hello? If you start eating a a high-fat content diet, you will change. (laughs) Anything that's growing will change. Now, if you got your Bibles, let's go to 2 Kings chapter number 5. Hello? Y'all still with me? Verse number one, Second Kings chapter 5, verse number one. We'll start our reading there, okay? We're talking about stepping out in faith. Because if we're going to step out in faith, many times we have to change the way we think about life. I will submit to you there are many Christians who are here in the church but are resistant to changing the way we do life. God has called us to live a life of faith. God has called us to live a life that aligns with the precepts of his word. God has called us on mission with him to do his will, his bidding in the earth realm. And in order for that to take place, we have to be willing to step out in faith. Many people, food for thought on your, on your outline, food for thought, many people believe in God but not many believe God. Can we read that together? Everybody just read together. Many people believe in God, but not many believe God. One of the most incredible places that we can live our lives is in a continual position of believing God. That's what author John Mason said. Next quote I want you to, to ponder on for a second. God made us and God is able to empower us to do whatever he calls us to do. Denying that we can accomplish God's work is not humility, it's the worst kind of pride. That's what Warren Wiseby said. Now, just as a point of illustration, and I want to get your mind, I want you to wrap your mind around this, because what God is doing, I believe, in the earth realm, and particularly what he's doing in this church here, 
is I think God is transitioning and changing us to be a tool, a, a body of believers who are willing to follow him wholeheartedly and don't let our tradition, don't let our preferences get in the way of him leading this church the way he, want, where he wants it to be. I told you that God showed me, he says, I'm going to, he said, God told me uh, several years ago that he wants to use us to be an instrument of change. God wants to use us to be a place like every other church, but I think particularly he called EBC to be a vehicle for change in how church life is done here in this community. To be a church that says we're welcoming everybody. To be a church that says that the gospel reigns supreme in how we do life. The gospel is what drives us, not our personal preferences. Are y'all with me today? But in order to get there, all of us have to have a change in our mindset. A change in how we do things. A change in in our our willingness to submit to the plan of God. Uh, (laughs) I may have shared this with you before, but just I think they bear repeating. In the 1920s, David Sarnoff was trying to convince his business associates to invest in radio. They said the wireless music box has no imaginable commercial value. Who on earth would pay for a message sent to nobody in particular? By the way, when I was growing up, you couldn't, you couldn't have convinced me that I'd be paying to watch TV either. How many of y'all grew up in an era where TV was free? How many of y'all pay for TV service now? Whether it's direct TV, uh, dish, YouTube TV, there's all kinds of things. Now we're paying. How many of y'all remember the days of free? free? Come on. You couldn't have paid me to say I'm going to pay to watch TV, but I'm paying now. Hello? The other thing you couldn't have convinced me was I got to pay for water. I mean, I know we pay for our water bill and come to the house because the, the city will cut you off if you don't pay your water bill. But you couldn't have convinced me that I would go to the store and buy cases of bottled water. Kenny Wayne, we would go outside and, and drink water at the water hose. But how many of y'all buy bottled water now? I got a cabinet full of it at the house, right? You couldn't have convinced me that. But so, so things changed. Listen to this. In 1876, a Western Union memo said the telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. The device is inherently of no value to us. Now, in the form that we have now, all, how many of y'all carry a phone now? Most of y'all have a cell phone, right? How many of y'all have unplugged from the phone at home? How many of y'all have no, no uh, direct line phone at home? You know, we still have ours. I don't know why. <laughs> we still got it, Mariri. And rarely are we, well, we, sometimes we will get on it. When mother, when, before mother passed, mother would be on it because we, we tried giving mother a cell phone, but it just didn't work that well. <laughs> but, but, but it's changed. In 1943, the chairman of IBM announced that there could not possibly be more than five people in the world who would want to own a computer. <laughs> Listen to that. The chairman of IBM said there could not be possibly more than five people in the world who would want to own a computer. How many of y'all have one now? Let me see your hand. You almost can't do life without a computer. And some of these things not here are, are like many computers, right? This, this iPad. Are y'all with me? 
1899, Charles H. Duell, who was at the time the commissioner of U.S. Patents Office, said everything that can be invented has already been invented. 1899, y'all. The common thread that runs through these famous sayings is this, the danger of a closed mind. Everybody say the danger of a closed mind. And it's particularly dangerous, it, it, it dangerous. it's particularly of, 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 of scary situation when a Christian has a closed mind to the power of God working in his life. To the power of God being able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. Are y'all tracking with me today? The truth of the matter is, guys, that many Christians today are afraid to try, afraid to take a risk and try something new and different, afraid to step out in faith. Everybody say in faith. The end result is that many Christians live out their days in the prison of a closed mind. Now, I want you to think about yourself as we go through this. The prison of a closed mind. Are you with me today? And so, the story in our text today, as we look at 2 Kings chapter 5, this is a familiar passage of scripture for those who've been in church for any prolonged period of time. The story in our text today gives us an example of someone who had a closed mind not open to change, not open to doing something different. Let's look, let's look at it right quick. Second Kings chapter 5, verse number 1. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse number 1. Let's get there right quick. Glory to God. Are y'all stand, standing with me today? Let's read together. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him, the Lord had what? Had, had what? Had given... Aram, great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from what? He suffered from leprosy. Next verse. It says, at this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. Next verse, let's go. It says, one day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. All right? So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel, I don't know why, I'll give her say the young girl. What the young girl? <laughs> slap myself, slap myself. <laughs> All right. Watch it. He would heal him of his leprosy. Next verse, let's go. Uh, so Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Next verse, let's go. Go and visit the prophet. The king of Aram told him, I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. Next verse, let's go. The letter to the king of Israel said, with this letter, I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. Now, now let's stop and pause there for a second. What you got to understand is, is that these two places were oftentimes at odds with each other and at war with each other. 
And so here we got the king uh, sending his man to the, to the king of Israel and saying, heal him. With this letter, I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leper. Lots of response here in the next verse. Let's go. When the king of Israel read the letter, come on, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, this man sends me a leper to heal. Am I God that I can give life and take it away? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. And I remember these, 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 these natures that have been in the before, but his response, uh, when the king, when the king, here we go, we go forward, we go. Uh, but when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naamah to me and he will learn that there is a what? That there's a what? There is a true prophet in Israel. All right, let's go to the next verse. Watch this. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. Watch the story, guys. But Elisha sent a messenger after him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your what? You will be healed of your leprosy. Next verse. Let's read it. Watch this. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. Stop right there. Listen, have you ever became, become angry because God is instructing you to do something that's different than what you really want to do? Or God is instructing you to do something that's, that's different than what you thought it should be? Have you ever been upset that God worked something out in a different way, in a different fashion than what you would have? There are many times in my life, guys, when I sit back and think about it, I'm trying to do things and I'm thinking my own, my own way of thinking about things and God has a different pathway to take me on. And sometimes I get upset because God is saying, go this way and I want to go this way. Uh-huh. Or I want to go and move in the way that I have been accustomed to. Yeah. Yeah. Are y'all with me today? So that's what's happened here. It says, but Naaman became angry, watch this, and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. Now, here he is. He has in his own way, in his own mind, how God ought to move. That's like many of us are. God, you, 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 got, you need to work it this way. His way, like we wiser than God. Like our little old pea brain has more knowledge than the God who created the heavens and earth. God, I, I wouldn't do it that way. Here's the way I would do it. Watch this. What verse are we on? What verse are we on? Can y'all see that? Y'all ready to read with me? Verse number 11, let's go. But Naaman, stop. Naaman becomes angry because the prophet of God, the man of God, instructs him to do something that he don't agree with. Now I got you, I got, I got to ask you a question. How many of y'all sitting up in this place, up in here, up in here, get angry when God's representative, the pastor of your church, instructs you to do something according to God's word, but you don't agree with God's word? In, actual, in actuality, what you'll do is, if you're not careful, because I know I've been sitting there, what you'll do is you'll get mad at the preacher for giving you what God said. Because you're too scared to go against God. Because if you just take your breath, you... If he takes your breath away, you, how are you going to live? 
So instead of getting mad at God, you'll get mad at God's representative who's teaching you the things of God. But Naaman became angry and stopped. By the, way, by the way, have you ever gotten mad at somebody who was really telling you what God's word said? And then later on, you, 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 once you came to yourself and got out of yourself, you said, you know what? You made me mad, but you told me the truth. I was upset with you because you shared truth with me, but now I understand what you were saying. I didn't understand it then, but I understand it now. Some of y'all have had your parents or your friend tell you, he ain't no good. I'm telling your sister, he's not good for you. What do y'all know? He's cute. He's fine. He makes me feel so good. I love him. He's not good for you, sister. I don't care what y'all say. You can't stop me from dating who I want to date. Now, fast forward two years. <laughs> now you all broke up, tore up, because you wouldn't listen to wisdom. Hello? He wasn't good for you because he wasn't even saved. You were moving with God, walking with God, doing the things that God told you to do, and then he slipped into your life, that old slick joker. Saying those smooth words, telling you what you want to hear. And you talk about how cute and handsome he is. My question is, is he good for you? Because everything that's cute ain't good for you. Huh? Any outdated or no good guy before? I'm not going to even ask you to raise your hand, but I know I got some witnesses up here. Huh? You thought he was the greatest thing since slut. Oh, oh, you ain't talking about me, are you? Oh. I'm just checking. She raised her hand. Some of y'all didn't raise your hand. You don't have to raise your hand, but <laughs> thank you, Doris. Thanks. <laughs> Listen. He, y'all got you got me off, baby. You, you, you threw me. <laughs> Guys, listen here. We, 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 we come into the situation. Watch this. God, God is saying, uh, I gotta do something. Watch it, watch it. Help me, Holy Ghost. Y'all, y'all need to pray for me right now. Have you ever dated somebody who looked good but wasn't no good? Anybody in the house? Now watch this, watch this. There are going to be some things that sometimes we desire in our own flesh that's not good for us. And God is trying to direct us in the right direction. Listen, um, let me get back to my text right here because y'all, y'all, y'all get back. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. Listen to his mindset, y'all. He says, I thought, that's some of y'all's problem, you think too much rather than following God's word. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said, I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Now, he's going to tell the man of God how to give him the healing. 
that's the ultimate in pride and in, 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 in self-righteousness right here. That's what, I, that's what Naaman said. That's what, that's what Naaman said I thought he, sh- he should have done. Let me tell you all something. Sometimes God don't come the way you think he ought to come. Sometimes God don't come the way you want him to come. The old folks sing, sing songs, he may not come when you want it, but he's always on time, right? Sometimes, there's sometimes I think, God, you ought to be moving and doing this thing and handling it right now at this point in time. But God said, no, 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 no. I got to take you through some things in order to purge some stuff out of you that shouldn't be inside of you. Stay there for a little while longer. Anybody in the house? He says, he says, I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call in the name of the Lord, his God, and heal me. Let's go to the next verse. Verse number 12. Are you there with me? It says this. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana and the Farpar better than any of the rivers of Israel? Here's a little arrogant self here. Listen, listen, listen to him. Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? That's the problem that a lot of us have. We think we know better than God. We'll sit there and we'll listen, you'll listen to messages and God will give you a word, but you're like, I know better than that, God. You're telling me to do that, but God, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going that direction because I've seen this and I've seen this and I know this. God's, God's word should take preeminence over anything in our lives. Our feelings, our emotions, our intellect, God's word is more powerful and more wise than all of that. Watch this. Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away and he was mad because the man of God told him to do something that he didn't want to do or he thought was beneath him. Y'all still tracking with me? We're still talking about stepping out in faith. So Naaman says, aren't there rivers of Damascus, the Abana and the Parfar, better than any of these rivers? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in rage. Let's keep moving. Verse number 13. We're going to share the story, then we'll come back and unpack some things. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply go wash and be cured. Some of us keep looking for some deep things, and God is just saying, just get up and study your Bible and start praying, and I'll speak to you. You want to go to the, the prophet of God from Kalamazoo and come give him $100 to share you a prophet. Listen, baby, if you get in your word, God will prophesy to you. So Naaman, after listening to his cohorts, so Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. I want to say something right here. Sometimes we're not moving. Sometimes we're not experiencing God's, God's blessing in our life because we refuse to hear God's messenger. Guys, let me tell you something. Elisha was simply a messenger. But he was, an, he was a messenger anointed by God. He was a prophet of God. And I'm going to tell you something. Whenever you connect, if you connect with any church, amen, that's led by a, 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 a God anointed leader, then when that God anointed leader shares with you what the word of God says, he's speaking to you as a messenger of God, not himself. Okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you in the word. I'm going to write and divide it in proper context. And then now you got a decision to make whether I'll follow that or not. 
And listen, I can take the bullets and the arrows. If you get mad at me, get mad at me, but get mad at me enough to go study your scripture in proper context and see if what I'm telling you is so. Don't just get mad and walk away. Y'all have been mad at, at the messenger before. All right, husbands. All husbands, raise your hands. Let's see your hands, husbands. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get the devil. Put, put him on blast. Husbands, have any of y'all had any point in time in your marriage your wife has told you something that initially you got angry with her for telling you something that really was right, but at the time you didn't want to acknowledge it was right? All right. Don't you realize? Hear me carefully. The Bible says this. It is not good for man to be alone. Sherry, I'm going to make a helper that's suitable for him. Someone who compliments him. Someone who aids him in living this life of faith here in earth realm. And so there are times, guys, when our wives are like a prophet in our life. Because sometimes they can see stuff that we miss. Not all the time, but sometimes they can see stuff that we miss. <laughs> are, y'all, are, y- are y'all still with me? They can see stuff that we sometimes miss. All right? But <sighs> wise. Let's see. Any wives in the house? Let me see, raise your hand. How many of you know wives that your husband ain't as dumb as you think he is? <laughs> Are y'all still with me? If you've got a praying man, if you've got a man who's walking in, in the word of God, he has some divine wisdom also. So don't ever think that God is not speaking to him also. Okay. All right. Can we keep moving? So Naaman, I got to get back. I got to get back. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. As the man of God had instructed him. Why would you be a part of a church and where you have a man of God who's teaching you the word of God, showing you in scripture, writing the divine scripture text, and you won't do what the word of God says. It'd be much better for you to go. Well, you can't go anywhere if you're not going to follow the word of God. You follow me? And so what I always try to do is show you in scripture, in context, what God is saying in his word. So that now it ain't me telling you it's the word of God. It's God speaking through me. I'm okay with you getting mad at me as long as you get mad at me, go home and study the scripture and see what God's word is, see if I'm right or if I'm wrong. And we can, we can sit back and we can discuss the scripture. We can write and divide it. We can get the proper context and see what God is saying to us as a, as a body of believers. I'm okay with that. But what I'm not okay with is if you don't study the word of God and then you won't try to learn what God's word is saying and, and you get mad. That's the spirit of rebellion. And the Bible says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Okay. So Naaman went down. After after first saying, you know, man, we got rivers back in my my homeland that's better than these rivers here. 
Why I got to go over here and dip? That's some Christians' problem. They won't follow God's directed plan for their life as he gives it through other people. Do you not realize that God speaks to you through people? And if you if you're a part of a church that has a man of God uh, that's praying and before God and is rightly dividing the word of truth and giving it to you and sharing it with you on a consistent basis, then we ought to be we should be checking it out for ourselves, obviously. But then once we get that divine truth, then now we are supposed to operate in it. Are y'all with me today? So so again. He says, so Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him, and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. Now, let's go back and, 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 and kind of unpack some things in my, in my time that's remaining. You know, Naaman was a great man. Actually, he was a national hero. He was a mighty warrior, a man of courage and a man of power. He was highly successful, guys. He was a respected military and political leader. He was captain of the king's guard in Syria. He was commander of the Syrian army, guys. The people loved him because he had brought great victories to his nation. Naaman had it all. He was handsome. He was confident. He was wealthy. He was powerful. And he was influential. He was in high favor with the king. In fact, he was the king's right-hand man. Everybody say right-hand man. But he had a problem. He suffered from a disease called leprosy. Now, when we look at this and uh, when we look at Naaman's experience here with Elisha, let's, let's, let's unpack some things here that I think will help us to better understand this. Naaman's experience with Elisha is an illustration to us. It illustrates to us the gracious work of God in saving lost sinners. I don't want you to miss the importance of this. Because God, God, the things that transpired in the Old Testament were foreshadowing of the things to come in the New Testament. And God had a chosen people by which he was going to bring the chosen seed, the, 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 the seed of Abraham that was born in the manger in Bethlehem. That family lineage was going to bring that seed from Abraham on up to the, to, 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 the, to the manger in Bethlehem. And that same seed that was born in the manger in Bethlehem was going to grow up and, and, and go to the cross of Calvary, die for our sins so that you and I could have a right to the tree of life. Are y'all with me today? But when we look at this thing, Naaman's experience with Elisha illustrates to us the gracious work of God in saving the lost sinners. Because God has a desire to save all mankind. Are you with me? The gospel to the Jew first and then the Gentile. I told you for for biblical purposes, there are only two, two ethnicities, either Jew or Gentile prior to Christ, but now there's a third one. That's us as believers. We get so hung up. This world gets so hung up on ethnicity. We call it race, but there's only one race. It's the human race, but it's different ethnicities within the human race. And this division uh, that Satan continues to stir up to try to divide, particularly the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That it is, 
when you begin to study the scripture, when you become a Bible reader rather than a Bible surveyor, you begin to understand that God's plan all along was to bring Jew and Gentile together into one body. And if that's not your plan, you out of God's plan. Are you with me? There are some people in some churches who would rather keep it the way it is than to follow God. Their heart is so messed up on the inside that they can't see what God is trying to do clearly in the scriptures. Are y'all with me today? So, so uh, go with me right quick to Luke, the fourth chapter. I, I got to move. So Naaman's experience with Elisha. We see Naaman needed the Lord, right? It, it, it's actually, this, this, his experience is, is, a, is, is a, a picture of, of the salvation experience, how God saves lost sinners. Naaman needed the Lord. How many of y'all know every man that's ever born in this world is born in sin and shaping the nick? We all need the Lord. Every human being, whether they realize it or not, need Jesus Christ in their heart. Go to Luke, the fourth chapter. What's it right quick? Let's look at verse number 14. And I want to show you something. Luke chapter four. Let's look at verse number 14. Are you still with me today? We're talking about stepping out in faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things that are not seen. Then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised what? By who? By everyone. Let's keep moving, guys. Next verse says what? When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual, what? To the synagogue on the Sabbath. Huh? And stood up and do what? To read the scripture. Let's go. It says what? The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. Let's go. Next verse says what? And that the time of the Lord's favor, what? That the time of the Lord's favor has come. Next verse. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him, what? Then he began to speak to them, what? The scripture you just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him. I need y'all to follow me here. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? Now watch this now. They know him. They know he's a carpenter. They know his family lineage. And they're wondering, how can he speak with such wisdom? You know, people will do you like that. They'll look at you and see where you came from. You're from Jonesboro. Yeah, you're from wherever. And, and what, what, what good can come out of, out, out, of, out of Jonesboro? What good can come out of Cotton Valley? What, what good can come out of Haynesville? Watch this. Watch this. <laughs> He says, then he said, you undoubtedly, where am I? Let's, let's, let's get back. You undoubtedly 
quote me this proverb, physician heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did where? In where? In Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his what? In his own hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time. Now watch what he begins to do. Because he begins to really unpack that God's plan for mankind all along. Because there were these, his chosen nation, the Jewish people, thought they had a patent on God and that no others could have the same relationship they had with the triune God, the God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the God who, who, who created the heavens and earth. Watch this. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Can we keep reading? Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a what? A widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elijah. His, our story here. But the only one he, the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. Now, what is he doing? He says, now, here's Jesus talking about God and how God moved in the lives of Gentiles. Now, why would he go and say this? Because Jesus was trying to get at the heart of those religious folks. Some of y'all in here are religious, but you're not even saved. You know church, and you've been in church, but your heart hadn't changed. And God says, I'm trying to change your heart. Watch this, watch this. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Watch this, watch this. Now, now remember, <laughs> go back to verse 22 right quick. Listen, listen, listen to verse 22. Because, see, you don't know what's in your heart until you test it. Some of y'all say you love Jesus until you test it. Some of you say you love everybody until you test it. See, I don't, I, listen, I, I can say all day long, I know this geometry uh, problem, this te- chapter that we just covered. I can say it all along, but when I'm tested, it's going to really find out, I'm going to really find out whether or not I know it. How many of y'all ever had a t- took a test and you didn't do so well on yourself? I know, I know that stuff. No, you didn't. Because had you known it, you would have did better than a D minus. Any y'all ever did it before? I know it, I know it, I know it until you get tested. I love, I love, I love, I love until you get tested. Are y'all in verse 22? Look what it says. Everyone, let's read it out loud. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be that? Isn't this Joseph's son? So he spoke well of him. But skip down. After he told him about two Gentiles. Huh? The widow of Zarephath was a Gentile. And Jews and Gentiles didn't get along. As a matter of fact, there was ethnic hatred between the two. They were cool with Jesus when he was just saying all the stuff, you know, about the prophet and, you know, you know all the stuff. Then, then he started talking about the widow of Zarephath, and he talks about Naaman, who was healed by God through the prophet Elijah's instruction. Look at what it says. Uh, skip down with me. So everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by his, his gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be? They asked, Is, isn't this Joseph's son? Now skip down to verse number 28. 
the atmosphere change. The climate change. Any of y'all have the climate change on you? The atmosphere change on you? They were okay, Doris, while you were telling them what they wanted to hear. But then as principal, when you told them to do something, they didn't want to know. They didn't want to hear. Now they're all mad now. I'm, I'm your pastor, and I, you love me as long as I'm telling you what, what, as long as it don't go against what you think, then once it goes against what you think, now I'm evil. Personified. Watch this. They were listening to him. They were amazed at him. But what did he just do? He just talked about how God connected with some Gentiles whom they hated. Now the climate changes. Watch this. See, some of y'all don't even know what's in your heart until it's revealed and it's in your heart. You say you love everybody until you have to love everybody. You say you're willing to walk with everybody until you have to walk with everybody. And when you have to walk with everybody, then you don't want to walk with everybody. And now it's revealed in your heart. You really didn't want to walk with anybody, even though you said you want to walk with everybody. See, when I was playing ball in high school and at, and, and at Louisiana Tech, a lot of guys talked a good game. But talking a good game ain't going to help you win the game. Are y'all with me? You can talk all day long, but the proof is going to be in the pudding when you get out on that field and play. Amen? Uh, listen, I watched the LSU-Alabama game, Danny, last night. And had LSU caught Alabama in game one or game two like Texas did, they probably could have got it. But you don't give Nick Saban eight or nine weeks to work out the kinks in his plan. That boy should have been starting all along, but they were experimenting. At their quarterback was it? Can I talk football, y'all? I got a little street cred for talking football, right? I played a little ball at Louisiana Tech, the Louisiana Tech University. They should have caught him. If LSU had caught him the same week Texas caught him, they could have got him. Because the next week after Texas, they went and started some other guys. And they, what they finally realized is we got a guy who's got special talent and we can't do him like we did Bryce Young and Matt Jones and, and Tua Tonga-Valoa. Those guys know how to really throw and, and, and they had a special skill set. But this guy can run. And he ran. And he ran. Somebody say he's still running. Here's what, I, here's what I appreciate about Nick Saban. And you can say what you want to say about him. But he's willing to change and he's willing to adapt in order to be successful. And some of us sit up in here and we don't, we're not willing to let God change us because we're stuck in our ways. And God says, I'm doing a new thing and I'm trying to transform you, but you won't let me because you. I can be that way too, y'all. Because I'm used to what I'm used to. But God says, I'm trying to change you. Now, when they heard this, when they heard what? When he talked about Gentiles. Here's Jesus open, trying to open the minds and the understanding of this primarily Jewish audience that he's talking to and letting them in on the fact that God's grace and his salvation is not just for you. Yes, you're God's chosen people, but my word is not for just for the Jew, but it's for the Greek, the Gentiles also. When they heard this, when they heard what? When they heard that, 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 <laughs> that Elijah wasn't sent to, that, he says that there was, there was other widows 
uh, in, in that land, but yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. He was sent to a Gentile. And many in Israel had leprosy in 27 in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Gentile. So what did they do? When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were what? Furious! Jumping up, verse 29, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Jesus is, is projecting his plan for the church in this particular situation right here. He's letting them know that it's to the Jew first and then the Gentile. It's not just for one ethnic group. My gospel heals and delivers all. And the body of Christ is made up of all. Are y'all still with me? So, so, so when we look at Naaman's situation, here's what we understand. Naaman needed the Lord. How many of y'all know he needed the Lord? He needed the Lord. Then verses 4 through 10, we see he, we talk about, again, let's back up. Naaman's experience with Elisha is an illustration of God working and saving lost sinners. Don't ever miss this. The things that were happening in the Old Testament were written for our admonition and for our instruction. It's a, it, many times the, 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 the Old Testament stories you see are giving us a, 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 a pre-Christ picture of how God is going to work through the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to get men saved. And so Naaman needed the Lord. We know that his leprosy was a sign of that. Uh, and uh, he began to seek the Lord when he started seeking his healing. But he started resisting the Lord. How many of y'all God has told you to do something, but you've been resisting it? What do you mean how you resisted it, Pastor? Well, let's go back right quick. Uh, you remember the story. Let's go back to... Uh, and I, and, I, and I know I got to close them. We're going we're gonna to continue to go forward next week. We're stepping out in faith. And I purposely capitalize in faith. Because many times we find ourselves as Christians not walking in faith or walking by faith. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. The person who comes to God has to believe that God is and that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If we're going to accomplish the things that God has set this church's hand to accomplish, we're going to need people of faith moving in faith. Okay? We're going to need people of faith moving in faith. And faith don't come just by you showing up on Sunday morning. Hello? I thank God for this church family. I thank God for the spirit that's in this place. But what God is saying, what he's telling me is, is there is more that he has for us to do. And there are giftings that are sitting there uh, underutilized that can be utilized to help transform somebody's life. And if you stay stuck at where you are, you can't be the person that God wants to use to help transform this world. And it's part of my responsibility to pull it out of you. Oh, y'all listen to me. Part of my job is to, is to just wind it out, bro, just pull it out. Because there's giftings inside of every last one of y'all sitting there. And I promise you, God wants to use your gifting 
to help advance his kingdom agenda. But we got to get ready. Everybody say get ready. So, so, so. Help me, Jesus. (laughs) Naaman needed the Lord. And he began to seek the Lord. But what happened? He started resisting the Lord because it didn't come the way he thought it should come. Can we get back there right quick? Go back to 2 Kings chapter 5. He resisted the Lord's plan. And I'm going to tell you, don't ever find yourself kicking against what God's word says. How do you know, Brother Pastor, because I've done it before. I thought my way was better than his way. And God had to show me that my way was not better than his way. Man, I love every last one of y'all in here. And I know that each one of y'all in here have giftings that God wants to utilize to advance his kingdom agenda. But I also recognize that the enemy is after every last one of us trying to get us off course to make sure that we don't do what God has assigned for us to do. Look, look, look back with me. So he came to the man of God's house. Look, look at verse number 11. No, no, go, go, to, go to verse number uh, verse number nine, I'm sorry. So here this guy is. Now remember, this guy comes. He's the right-hand man to the king, a king from an enemy nation, because when he first came to the king of, of, of Israel, uh, asking him to heal him, guess what? He, the king of Israel thought he was trying to start a fight. He's like, why are you bringing this to me? I can't heal this guy. He had a letter from his king to the king of Israel saying, hey, heal him. So the king had enough sense to send him to Elisha, God's prophet in the land. Are y'all tracking with me? So he goes and sends him to Elisha. So the Bible says, so Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. That's the direction that the man of God gave him. But look at what happened. See, there was a little pride in Naaman. See, pride will keep people from stepping out in faith. We'll look at it on next week. There's a little pride in Naaman. How many of y'all got some pride? Not that you're going to care to admit in front of me, right? But all of us got a little pride in our, in our life. Well, I, you know, I, 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 I've been doing this this way for 40 years. That's why you're not as effective as you could because you've been doing it the same way for 40 years. I'm going to tell you something. Change is important. Just like I read to you earlier, change is important for all of us in our life because if we're going to be who God wants us to be, we should be an ever-evolving, ever-changing child of God. We should be growing day by day. Are y'all with me today? We should be growing day by day. So Naaman went with his horse and chariot and waited at Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a message out to him and said, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed. Verse 11, but Naaman became angry and stalked away. But notice what he says. Can we read that out loud? I thought. Everybody say, I thought. And that's part of our problem. We keep thinking. <laughs> We keep thinking about stuff our way. Because really, if you're really honest about it, a lot of us, we are a product of our environment that we grew up in, and it shapes our thinking. So in order to have a different way of thinking, I got to get new information, right? 
The Bible says God transformed us into new creatures by changing the way we think. How many of y'all are willing to admit that you had some messed up thinking growing up? How many of y'all are willing to admit you had some messed up thinking last year? How many of y'all are willing to admit your thinking messed up right now? God is trying to get us to align our thoughts with his thoughts. Because the Bible says his thoughts are much his ways are much so if we're going to move with God I promise you God is not going to come down to our level we got to go up to his. And we have the capacity and the ability to do that because the Bible says he, he said be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the more I get into God's word, the more I sign up for our systematic uh, uh, study plan that we're going through uh, as a church body. The more we get connected with that, the more we're going to have our lives transformed. But our thinking has to be changed. And here's the problem that a lot of people have. When God's word, his message doesn't line up the way we thought and the way we were, up, we were brought up, or if it goes against our experience that we had, and we allow the experience to take a more preeminent place in our hearts than the Word of God, we'll succumb to the experience rather than the Word of God and let that experience drive our thinking. How many of you ladies have said before you've been hurt by a man? I'm through. I'll, none of them ain't no good. Oh, y'all don't want to talk to me right now. Any else, any single ladies in the house? Single ladies. Let me see your hands, single ladies. All right. Have you ever, some of y'all may be married, some of y'all don't gave up, but come to marriage fellowship. We're going to have to get out of it, okay? Not get out of it, but help it grow. But, but listen, God has a plan and a way and a purpose for us to get where he wants us to be. But we can't allow our past experiences to take precedent over God's word. And that's where many Christians lie. We sit there and we say, well, I know. I know people. And I know people too. People are sinful. Right? And I know that if, if all of us given half a chance, if we're not prayed up, studied up, we'll go astray. That's why we got to stay in the word. Amen. Keep our minds renewed so that we can be available for God to utilize to, to advance his kingdom agenda. So watch this. This guy, and I got to stop on this one. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. Have any of y'all ever gotten mad because I told you what the word of God said? You ain't got to raise your hand, but I know, I know you have. But I pray. Here's, here's my prayer. My prayer, and I, I'm going to keep preaching the word. Y'all do know that, right? I've been here 34 years, and I'm not going to stop preaching God's word. And I'm going to tell it like a TIT is. In a loving way but a firm way because I need you to know what God's word is saying so that there is no mistake. There's no ambiguity. When you choose not to do it, it's because you're in rebellion and not because you don't understand it. Cause there's some things that the word of God has clearly said that we as individuals have to do that sometimes we just don't want to do. There's a passage that says, pray for those who despitefully use you. So let me ask you a question. Is there somebody in your life 
that's giving you heartache and pain? Have you prayed for them? I mean, honestly. Or have you stayed mad with them? I, you know, listen, I'm not saying, you can't do this in your own strength. I'm here to tell you right now, you'll get mad at people and you'll, want, you'll, you'll not want to have anything to do with people, but that's not who God made you to be. God wants to use you to reach some people right now who you can't stand. Can I say it that way? He wants to use you to reach some people who right now you can't really stand. But God says, I'm going to keep you there until I can mold you and make you who I want you to be. Amen? Are y'all with me? God wants to use you. So I thought he would certainly come out to me. So sometimes we think God should work a certain way. But look at the text. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. I expected him to wave his hand, wave his hand over the leprosy. He already had in his mind how the man of God should do what he need to do to get his healing. Stop trying to tell God how to do God's business. God knows how to do God's business. He knows how to work. He knows how to get to the heart of man. And if we just stop trying to do it our way and say, God, however you chose to work it out, I'm willing to, to accept that your will. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and healed me. Look at the next verse. If we get, get ready to close. Watch this. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the far part better than any of these rivers of Israel? That's his pride speaking up now. Why should not wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned away and went away in rage. How many of y'all ever done that before? Got mad at God. Come on, let's be honest. You ever been mad at God before? Because you didn't understand how he was working, how he was moving. God desires to have an intimate relationship with every last one of us. And we'll, we'll, we'll pick this up on next week because stepping out in faith is very important. We, we're going to see how Naaman needed the Lord. He sought the Lord, but he resisted the Lord, and then ultimately he trusted the Lord. And you need people in your life who can, who can, who can push you toward, back toward God when you get out of place. God used his own servants that were with him to say, listen, listen to the man of God and do what he asked you to do. Trust in the Lord, and then he began serving the Lord. I'm out of time, but I want you to hear me carefully. God designed all of us to walk by faith. And Naaman dipping in the Jordan River was a step of faith. But faith had to come by him hearing and listening to the man of God speak the word of God, the message of God to him. And if you're in a place where you can't receive from the man of God, the woman of God who's speaking the word of God in your life, then, then there, there, there's an issue that got to be dealt with. Okay? Because God is going to hold all of us accountable for the authority that we're under. Okay? He holds us accountable. Stepping out in faith. Naaman ultimately got there, but he fought. And what I'm telling you is you don't have to fight, just believe. Just trust God. Take him at his word. I don't care how foolish it may sound, when God gives you a directive, follow it. You don't have to understand it to be obedient to it. There's a whole lot of things that my parents told me to, to do. I didn't quite understand, Jeff, why they were telling me to do it, but I was obedient. And when I was obedient, I ate the fruit of the land. That means my parents took care of me. All right? There's a whole lot of things that God tells us to do. We're not going to quite understand it in totality until we step out in faith. 
trust him and step out on his word. And we'll pick it up next week. Give the Lord a hand of praise. God bless you.